Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a special guest, Blaine Bartlett, who is the president and CEO of Avatar Resources, an international consulting firm. We'll hear more about that. Um, Blaine is the author of Discover Your Inner Strength. That book um, is an anthology, a collaboration with Stephen Covey, Ken Blanchard, and Brian Tracy, maybe some folks you've heard of. And he has a new book uh, scheduled to be published late this year or perhaps early in 2012 called Success Sustained. Blaine is all about sustainability, and we're going to hear a whole lot about that. Blaine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. It's been a long time coming. Um, Yeah, I know. I'm glad we finally were able to schedule this. So where are you today? Well, I'm in my office uh, up in Seattle, Washington. Ah, is it sunny by chance? <laughs> it's Seattle, Washington. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be sunshiny until you get up here. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it's um, well, you know, it's kind of nice to have soft, gentle rain once in a while. Seattle is known for that, mm-hmm. and and also for fabulous. Summers, you know that that you don't where you don't have rain, you have very long days filled with lots of sunshine and sparkly water, and it's really a wonderful place to be. Yeah, it's, uh, when the mountain is out up here, it's a it's a beautiful place. You know that phrase, "the mountain is out." I think that's mm-hmm. the only place in um, the U.S. where that phrase is used. The mountain is out today. Yep, I think you're right. Uh, it refers to Mount Rainier, and when it's out, uh, it is a glorious day out here. It is, absolutely. So let's talk a bit about your work and your consulting firm and the passion you have for the work you do. You know, I know that passion is very important to you, and I love the tagline you have for, for the company, passion leading to performance. Why does that matter to you? Well, uh, one one way to think about it is passion uh, is essentially aliveness. And Hmm. aliveness is uh, not only important just for the obvious reason, um, (laughs) but I I think aliveness is what makes life worth meaning. Um, My experience of most people in most companies that we work with over periods of time is that um, aliveness is not something that is 
typically thought of when we think of the people in most companies. Uh, you know, so to the degree that we can bring some aliveness and passion back to the work experience uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is important because most people will spend, oh, two-thirds of their lives, in, in particularly adult life, uh, at work. Well, you know, when you think about that, and um, sometimes I think about people who are not excited about their work, who see it as a means to an end, you know, a way to pay the bills, etc., um, and often don't believe they can affect change in their organization, that they can make things different for them or for anybody else. How do you, how do you think people get to that place? Well, that's part you know, of the uh, the new book, uh, Success Sustained. One of the ways that, and I'll just speak for myself on this, uh, one of the ways that I define, and we actually work with our clients in defining this, uh, success uh, has to do with the experience of fulfillment. Is what I'm doing fulfilling to me? Um, and I'm... You know, when I look in the mirror at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of the day, um, I'm looking at a reflection of somebody that has a finite amount of time on the planet. Mm. And this is a non-renewable resource, this thing that we call time. Mm -hmm. And I am continuously in the process of being used up. That energy is dissipating. That time is dissipating. So if what I'm being used for is not inherently fulfilling to me, um, this is where my experience of aliveness begins to fade away. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at, sis, uh, at, sis, at success, fulfillment is a major part of our definition. And then the other part of it around sustained, success sustained. When, we're, when people think of sustainability, and I'm not talking about this in a green sense, mm. but sustainability in an ongoing sense has to do with developing the capacity and the competence, but mostly the capacity to continuously start over. There's going to be things that, as I evolve in my life and as I grow in my life, that I'm going to want to hold on to, but there's also going to be things that I want to let go of, and there's going to be things that I want to learn new that will allow me to move forward uh, uh, on an ongoing basis. So developing the capacity to continuously start over for the sake of, you know, consistently and continuously being fulfilled in my uh, journey through life. Hmm. That's at an individual level, and I think that it's also available to organizations because nothing, you know, all an organization is literally is a collection of people. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that the people are feeling fulfilled to a significant degree, the organization is going to be successful. Um, so there, there's a number of ways that we come at this. Um, but fundamentally, I mean, I look at success, whether it's an organizational success or an individual success, it's, it's an inside-out process. It doesn't come from the attainment of goals. It comes from the experience of, of, of fulfillment. So if someone is having the experience where they are loving their work, they are you know, feeling that aliveness, as you describe it, and the organization suddenly makes a shift or does a, you know, kind of a 180 or decides their strategic direction is off course and they need to make change. Um, you know, how, how do people respond 
to that? Do you find that they typically are fairly resilient? Do you find that it throws them? You know, what's been your experience? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I I, I think it does throw them. I think change inherently uh, will throw people. Even if it's seen as something that's good, it's uncomfortable just because it is new. Um, So there's that dynamic in play. Um, But I also think, you know, the people are inherently resilient. And part of what resiliency uh, or what what allows for resiliency to develop is a connection to something that is defined by the individual as being important to them. And this is where the whole question of fulfillment comes back into play. Mm -hmm. Uh, My job may change. The uh, nature of what my organization is doing uh, may change. Um, but if I've got a way to identify what's important to me at an individual level, that be- allows me to kind of hang in there a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, the um, notion of you know things happening in life. Uh, one way that I've come to think about this is that it's all good. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's just all good. Now I may not understand how. This change is good for me right now, um, but over time, when I look back, I can begin to connect the dots, and I think the dots only can get connected when we're in, in a retrospective uh, position. Uh, I may not know the benefit of this change right now as I look forward, but if I'm willing to just kind of live with it and, and stay with it, um, it will eventually evolve. And this is, I think, where resiliency comes in. I don't have to like the change. And this is, I think, something that's very misunderstood uh, uh, around change. I don't have to like it for it to be ultimately beneficial for me. Right. Well, and and it seems that people would really have to have um, highly evolved skills and self-awareness to be able to navigate change in a way as you describe it. You know, I, I don't have to like it. I know that it can all be good. Um, ultimately, this could um, be, this could take me to levels that are even more successful or happier. And in the midst of not liking it, you know, it takes someone highly evolved. Well, yeah, I, I, I will tend to agree with that, absolutely. I think that awareness, self-awareness in particular, is the key to uh, just about everything in life. Um, you know, the, the whole notion of living an unexamined life and all that goes with that. I, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. To the degree that I, and, and to the degree that I'm willing to continuously look in, in, internally, what's important to me? Uh, what am I about? Who am I? These sorts of questions, I think, are really important questions to answer, and they're not just in the existential domain, they, they really have relevance to how I live my life on a daily basis. You know, what, uh, what upsets me and, and what is it that uh, I get triggered by and what's the consequence of that? Uh, I mean, all of these things that uh, uh, we can uh, experience in our life on a, daily, on a daily basis have the capacity to inform us about what, what next. Again, I don't have to like anything that's going on around me, and if I've got a pretty strong sense of awareness about what's important to me, what my ideals are, how you know why they're important to me, what they make possible, 
I can take any change that goes on in my life and look for how can it be used by me to get one step closer to that ideal. Mm. And that, I think, has a lot of power. And then it also begins to translate to how I begin to feel fulfilled about how I'm being used. I think part of fulfillment is... The, you know, come, you know, part of what comes with this sense of fulfillment is this sense of I have uh, some volition in my life that mm-hmm. I that I am that it is I that am making some choices here, mm-hmm. and I get to choose you know, choose primarily how I respond and how I interact and how I hold whatever change goes on around me. I may not like it, but can I appreciate it? I may not like it, can I use it in a way that's mm-hmm. going to be generative? And that's a big difference, I think. You know, when others can, you know, you know it, change will happen, and they'll they'll tend to feel victimized by it. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't something that I wanted, and it, just the nature of being a victim is a powerless place to come from. Right. You know, you work all around the world in uh, many different cultures. You spend a lot of time in Asia, China, and Japan. You spend a lot of time in Finland and in parts of Europe. I mean, you, you've just traveled the world with clients everywhere, and um, and I've enjoyed working with you on some of those projects. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm wondering what your perspective is on how different cultures approach this concept of change and resilience. Oh, well, I, I think the way that I'd answer that has to do with just the nature of human nature. Um, uh, people are people, uh, and, and, uh, and I say that in a, in a very uh, deliberate way. We are all, I think, biologically wired to belong. Uh, you know, there are certain primal needs that we have. I mean, all of those things that make us human are present in every human. Then we overlay on top of that cultural, you know, and uh, yeah, more cultural learnings and, and things that kind of come along with our unique position in the world, our unique geographical place in the world. So, and I get to ask this question quite often. You know, is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference, and it is cultural. But the the culture can be spoken to. The human nature piece is is what I really want to pay attention to. People are people, and they respond to change in a fundamentally similar fashion. It's colored a bit, you know, but it's fundamentally similar. You know, a, a great example of that I think would be just the nature of time. You know, time has a very different. Um, place in people's minds depending on you know, the cultural bias that we, that right. we bring to it. Um, Western cultures tend to be far more linear, and this is very, very uh, uh, generalized here, but they tend to be far more linear in their approach to time than do many Eastern cultures. So, Say more about that. Oh, um, the the nature of time in in China or Japan, you know, there's the the aspect of patience. I think would be how we how we would tend to describe it here, yeah, in 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 the U.S. Patience is uh, just something that kind of comes with the process of developing as a as a human being in in a in a uh, in Chinese culture, uh, but also to Japanese cultures to a, to a significant degree. The the fulfillment, you know, you know, things will evolve in the fullness of time. Hmm. Yeah, in 
Western cultures, particularly I think in the U.S., uh, to, a, to a significant degree, this fixation on quarterly results. Yeah. You know, this is a linear approach to you know, to attaining success, and if it's not met within the context of certain parameters around time, then people start getting a little anxious, and you know, the, the failure starts to be you know becoming part of the language and the uh, culture of the organization. Um, and it's time-based. It's time-constrained, and it's time-defined. And time is a context. Uh, and why that's important is that context is what gives meaning to the content that we're dealing with. It's, it, it's what gives meaning to any activity that we're engaged in. What's the context? And time seems to be a universal context in the human experience. Mm-hmm. And how that context is defined literally you know, provides meaning to the different activities that are engaged in in, uh, in these businesses and in people's lives. That makes so much sense. Speaking of time, we are going to take a little time break here, and we'll be back right after this message. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Technology is intended to improve our lives and solve the world's problems, but technology in itself is a complex myriad of concepts, ideas, and security. How do we sort it all out? Tune in to Technology Today with host Ajay Gupta. The program will go inside the world of technology with innovators, engineers, CEOs, and government officials. Our topics will include green technology, healthcare technology, and cybersecurity. Listen every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. voiceamerica.tv Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. Our guest today is Blaine Bartlett, President and CEO of Avatar Resources, an international consulting firm. Blaine, we've been talking about 
change and sustainability and, and the nature of human nature. I love the way you phrase that um, and, and how people engage with the process of change. And given that you've had so much experience in Asia, uh, I'm curious about your opinion on China and how um, how the issue of their perspective on time, on patience to letting process evolve to get to decisions in its own right time, um, you know, how is that being affected with the um, push for capitalism and high success and, you know, moving into um, global markets, and China is very focused on that. Do you see change in that? Do you see that affecting the culture there? Um, Yes, actually I do. Um, And and I see it affecting it this way. I think historically China, I mean, as we, as we look in the last, you know, literally the last almost 3,000 years, 2,000 years with China, there's, yeah, it's been, it's one of the oldest cultures in the world. Um, and that being said, in the last, oh, literally about 20, 25 years, there has been an opening to the West. And as a consequence of that, there's been shifts that have occurred as the market has evolved in China. And uh, that shift primarily has to do with material acquisition. And mm-hmm. the materia- And here's, I think here's the risk that is being uh, balanced there, is expectations that by almost definition have short-term windows of... of um, time associated with them. I think the government, in part, is taking a very long-term view towards its development process economically. And the balancing act that it is trying to, to actually negotiate is the one of managing expectations uh, as the middle class begins to you know, expand and become larger. The... Um, the expectation of, of, of washing machine, getting a washing machine as an example. I saw a great TED talk on this the other day that was just phenomenal. Um, yeah, there's, there's something about the, the freeing up of leisure time, and not just leisure time, but time for education, time for experimentation, time, and this is where the whole question of fulfillment starts to come back into play again. With the acquisition of more material goods in one sense, I think that there is an opening towards people beginning to question what is fulfilling and what isn't fulfilling. Right. And that's where people start feeling some urgencies in life. And this is, goes back to what I said before the break about, um, you know, I think people are people. You know, the nature of, of being human is that we have a finite lifespan. And I think that there's a, you know, once we have acquired and get to a point in our, in our experience of life of having shelter and food and, and belonging needs handled, and you know, to, to reference Maslow here, we start thinking in terms of some of the existential questions about why am I here? What's it all about? You know, am I being, am I fulfilling myself in my life? Is my life fulfilling? And those become time-based questions that actually, I think, supersede culture. They, they tend to be uniquely human. 
So, you know, this is kind of a very circuitous way of answering your question about China, but I think that um, the more global the market becomes, the more, uh, what's the word I'd like to use here, the more uh, uh, germane the human experience becomes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost as if there's now um, time to pay attention to that human experience. Mm-hmm. You know, as you think about the uh, rural areas of China, so many of them now having cell phones. Yeah. Or yeah, other, or washing machines, as you say. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they may never have questioned, am I fulfilled? They may have felt like their life was very full and they were accomplishing a great deal with their family and they were... Um, you know, getting through each day, feeding their family, having community, uh, making decisions about community together with their neighbors, and and there would be no need for them to question, "Am I fulfilled?" Exactly. And then, with the introduction of some of this technology, and um, I mean, we've seen this all over the world. You know, when um, new information starts being. Um, available and people say oh you know my life could be different really mm-hmm. and then the question begins you know am i fulfilled or i maybe i want more and um there are some people who would say you know they were better off before they knew yes that's i think the conundrum in part here um yeah i'm an associate professor at beijing university and one of the things that uh, my work there focuses on is how do we develop a culture, and I'm not talking a culture in the sense of a Chinese culture, but a business culture in particular here, uh, a culture that supports sustainable success in businesses. And now that's kind of the, the, the generic way of looking at this. But one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is that we find ways to do that whereby... Yeah, rapid and rabid consumption does not become the way that it gets done. Mm. Um, I think you know we in the West, uh, with uh, the economic model that we have, yeah, in, in, we 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 move to a point where consumption became the god, and ever evolving rates of consumption. If we weren't growing you know, exponentially, or at least you know, by yeah. You know, double-digit percentages each year, we weren't considered to be successful. And it has to do with a short-term time context, and it also has to do with, um, I think, just the way that, you know, we have come to value what's important important in life. And you know, the material is not as important as some of these other things that I think some of these cultures start to leave behind as they're exposed more and more to more material goods. Mm-hmm. So, again, kind of a circuitous way of, of addressing this this issue. But I think that there is a way to develop a consciousness about how to develop business where it doesn't become rapacious, where where consumption is is there, but it's 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 tempered. It's tempered mm-hmm. in a way that um, you know the earth isn't pillaged. Uh, right. Resources aren't yeah. You know, 
devalued or wasted. There's a number of different ways that this can come into play here, but it has to do with tempering greed. It has to temper it, you know, to do with bringing in a sense of you know, what is fulfilling and you know, fulfilling at the human level, not at the at the material level. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a lot of people in Japan right now because of the um, earthquake and tsunami and the current challenges that are happening with the nuclear plants and. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in Japan right now who aren't asking the question, am I fulfilled? They're asking the question, will I survive? Mm-hmm. You've spent a lot of time in Japan over the years, I mean, for, I mean, since the 80s, and you've spent a lot of time as an educator, um, as a consultant to businesses, um, as somebody who is able to inspire um, even your book, Three-Dimensional Coaching, which was finished this year, is in translation for Japan and China right now. And you have a view into the Japanese culture that might explain to those of us who are not inside that culture um, something that's going on there that's very interesting right now. You know, many people have said to me, it's just fascinating that in the midst of all this crisis, the Japanese are so nice to each other. And I will say, oh, well, now what do you mean by that? Well, you know, there's no looting, there's no, um, you know, fighting among themselves, there's no riots in the streets. And, and many people then say, and if that were to happen in the United States, I can't. I don't believe I could say the same thing would be true. Mm-hmm. What is your take on this? Well, first of all, I, I would agree with it, and I think we only need to look at Katrina as an example of that. Um, mm-hmm. The this is, I think, where culture does have some bearing on a lot of things here. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, you know, Japan's about the size of California just geographically, and it's got a population that's equivalent almost to the U.S. So you think about just the density uh, that's inherent okay. there. And then you add on top of that, roughly, and this is a you know, broad approximation here, but roughly only about 15 to 20% of the land is actually habitable in the sense yes. that we can actually build on it, and that is aligning you know, along the coastal regions. So, eighty percent of um, the land in Japan does not have a lot of people on it. Right. And so the density is is pretty profound. So as a consequence of that, people have had to learn to get along. And you know, the Japanese have a word uh, wa, spelled W A, literally means you know harmony. And mm-hmm. that is, if, if there's a singular value that I would use in my mind to define what the Japanese um, uh, cultural cornerstone is or foundational t- you know, cornerstone would be, it would be harmony. So in one sense, I mean, from a Western orientation, I can look at that and you know, if the, if the way that, they've, that they're holding themselves and actually comporting themselves through this tragedy, I could be surprised by it. But if I really appreciate what has developed over you know the last couple thousand years with Japan, you know, with with the Japanese culture, it's a, it literally becomes an of course. You know, it, it can't not be this way. Yeah, we could all learn from them. I think so. 
there's there is there is a there's a sense, and I'm going to just extrapolate here just a bit. But there's a sense uh, in um, the Japanese mind of, of oneness, and this trend, you know, this actually carries over in a lot of the ways that they, you know, they are one people. It's an indigenous, right. homogeneous orientation. There is a spiritual component to this when I start looking at this in terms of how we connect ourselves to the rest of the world. There is, I mean, one point of view here is that there is nobody out there but me. I mean, I could go to a very existential place with this. Mm. You know, what I do, you know, what I see happening with another, what I do with another is actually, you know, myself out there. Um, it's kind of hard to, you know, put this in, in the, in the language. The, the, the way that I view what's going on in Japan is they see each other as in the same boat as, you know, they are in as an individual. So when I see my neighbor there, it's no different than I see myself standing in that line. Why would I crowd in front of myself? Mm. You know, why would I loot from myself? Um, and then you take that, if, you, if we could, if we could take that and, and have that be more of an operative norm in the world. I look at a tree. Why would I damage that tree? Why would I rape the, you know, or pillage or plunder this earth? Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's, a, it's an aspect of myself. This is where I think when we start looking at how we build businesses or even how we comport ourselves in our own lives, if I can come from that orientation that there is nothing out there but me, it's all an extension of me, I begin to be far more generous, far more uh, generative, far more uh, respectful of how I walk on this planet and how I treat my life. Right. And thus how I treat others. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, this speaks to the whole issue of leadership around the world. Um, when you have leaders who are responsible for countries or organizations or families or communities, um, how they live, is it in harmony? How they, um, what their consciousness is of their connection to all those people um, to the earth has an effect on how they show up. And I know you work a lot with um, leaders and multinational corporations. And What is your um, perspective on kind of the general thinking these days from, and I know this is a huge generalization, but, you know, there does seem to be um, themes that, that run through um, time and space. And, you know, in this time, 2011, you know, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What is your perspective on where leaders are around that whole issue of consciousness? Oh, boy. That is a broad general question. Uh... And uh, yeah, actually, actually, Cheryl, you know, my answer is going to be, you know, couched in the in the sense that all there is out there is is me and just aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leaders that I'm working with, I'm finding, are far more open to conversations about consciousness, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's what, and, I, and I am seeing more more willingness to explore that in not just the U.S., but in other countries that I'm working in. Now, that being said, I know that that's true for me as well. So, you know, yeah, I, I am 
really cognizant of the fact that um, I'm biased towards that right now, so I may be just actually you know sorting to see that. Mm-hmm. And if if that's the case, or even if it's not the case, I'm still excited about it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't negate the fact that I'm experiencing that to be something that's that's present right now. Mm. What do you think people need to do? to get themselves to that place where they're comfortable with the idea of conversations about consciousness? Ah, there's uh, a great phrase that I came across a number of months ago um, that it's a Latin phrase and it's literally, you know, the, the, the phrase itself is momento mori and it literally translates to Remember, you must die. You know, there's no, there's no question about this. You must die. Now, why I'm mentioning that in, in the context of your question about consciousness, I came across a, a, a TED talk not too long ago uh, with Steve Jobs, and it was uh, actually it wasn't a TED talk. It was actually a film of him giving a commencement address at Stanford, and you know, there was a point in the address where he was talking about. Um, standing in front of a mirror and asking himself the question, if I was to die today, mm. would I like doing what I'm doing right now? Mm. And if the answer to that question was no, too many days in a row, what he said was, I need to start changing something. Right. And that, I think, goes not only the, to the questions that, that you've asked about um, uh, fulfillment, uh, you know, what is inherently fulfilling? Well, inherently fulfilling is about being used in a way that I think is meaningful and useful. Um, but it also speaks to awareness. And awareness is another way of, of accessing consciousness. You know, what, you know, and I don't think that there's ever been an a, a accurate definition of what is consciousness. Mm. Consciousness imbues who I am uh, as, as a living being. Uh, when I die, consciousness... I mean, energy can't be destroyed, so consciousness is a form of energy, and it goes somewhere. Something happens here. So I think the way, you know, kind of coming full circle back to your question about uh, you know, becoming more conscious, I think part of it has to do with just an awareness that um, I'm not going to be here forever. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be you know, dead one of these days. I've got nothing to lose, so I may as well start paying attention to what's really important. And next quarter's results are not the most important thing. Mm. That's really tough for um, leaders who are performers, who are hard drivers, who are achievers, um, who are measured by their boards, um, by that quarterly output. Uh, you know, it's very hard, I think, very challenging for them to discern my happiness versus... Um, success, mm-hmm. yes. and what is the definition of success? And when we come back in just a minute. I want us to talk about the definition of success. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Tune in to It's Your Money with host Bill Pfeifferlick. You'll get an eye-opening education about some of the misconceptions of the financial world. If you are a business owner, working professional, or successful American, you will benefit from the information on our program. Our guests will include financial service professionals, international tax and estate attorneys, and CPAs. We'll identify solutions that you can implement now to get the most of your money. Tune in Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for It's Your Money on Voice America Business. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with our special guest, Blaine Bartlett. So, Blaine, your new book is tentatively titled Success Sustained. And I say tentatively because you've said to me that this is a working title. And, uh, you know, it, it will be ready to be published uh, either year-end or early 2012. So my guess is you've spent a lot of time thinking about well, what is success? How do we define it? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. What's your take on that? Okay. Uh, well, as we've talked about in a, in a couple of uh, different pieces of this interview, um, fundamentally it comes down to the experience of being fulfilled. Now, that's at an individual level uh, okay. for, for, for a person. When I look at it for an organization, um, organizations, here, here's a way to think about what an organization is. <clears throat> An organization fundamentally was founded on an ideal, and that ideal originally was kind of the the uh, the touchstone for the founders to orient all of their activities around. And part of that, the implication of that is, we will be successful if this ideal is is either attained or moved towards to a significant degree. 
every organization has always been founded on an ideal as part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the process. Then we start building the organization and we start bringing people in. And initially some of the people that come in are organizing themselves and are actually attracted to that ideal. And so there's a mesh, you know, there's a matching, there's a, or meshing, I guess, a met, both a matching and a meshing of individual ideals and organizational ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, now as the organization starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that becomes less and less likely to occur. Why I'm, why that's important to me is when I look at what is an organization fundamentally, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, all it is is a collection of people. And these people are in relationship. These people are in relationship not only with the obvious, which is each other, but they're also in relationship with their jobs. They're in relationship with the activities that the uh, company involves itself in. They're in relationship with the company's vision, goals, objectives, mission, ideal. And to the degree that these relationships, all of these varieties of relationships, work well, the organization will end up being successful because the people are feeling successful in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So part of the question then from an organizational standpoint is how do, we be, how do we become successful and how do we sustain success? It has to do with that sense of fulfillment again. Fulfillment in the context of these ideals are being realized. The the The... Uh, the promise of this relationship is being realized. That's, I think, where success starts to manifest itself. And that's not something that people pay attention to in organizations, in my experience, to to any significant degree. Right. So when you say the promise of the relationship, you're talking about the relationship between the individual and the organization. The individual and the organization as a collective, the individual and the job that they are doing. You know, when I take on a job, there's a, there's a, there's a promise in, in the relationship that I have with my job that's inherent in that. And part of it is pretty explicit in the sense that I get paid for it. Uh, there are certain you know, uh, external rewards that I will get from, from doing this thing. But there's also these inherent satisfiers, or you know, not inherent, um, implicit satisfiers that are important to pay attention to. Um, and that's, I think, where we begin to lose a lot of traction you know, in organizations. Yeah, you know, Gallup, and I think you're familiar with this, but yeah. Gallup did... Uh, uh, a survey years ago, um, and one of the questions that they asked was, "How often do you get to do what you are, what you truly enjoy doing on a daily basis mm-hmm. yeah, at work?" I mean, I'm, I'm butchering the question a bit here, but that's essentially what the question mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating how many people reported not being able to do something that they felt that they were good at or that was intrinsically important to them on their job, mm-hmm. and if it's not something that I get satisfaction out of, why would I continue coming back to it? Right. But people do. But they do. They do. And I think partly they do because um, they, they, they haven't developed the capacity to ask themselves some significant questions about what it means to be fulfilled as a human being. So mm-hmm. success comes... Success for an organization comes when the individuals have the capacity and the competence to ask them, you know, ask themselves some fundamental questions, and the organization can make that possible. Um, part of the question that I can look at here is who do I hire? Not not what right. skill set do I hire, but who do I hire? Mm. Yeah, am I hiring into my organization 
people that have a, a baseline self-awareness of, 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 of what it means to be fulfilled and successful as a human being. I mean, if I can um, hire people that bring to bring that that bring that to the job, yeah, that that can be a, a very interesting uh, competitive advantage. Yes, yeah, I um, have had experiences where people have told me that you know they're hiring someone who has all the technical skill. Um, no matter what level the organization they're at, you know, has all the technical skill, and that, you know, they were a little tough to get along with, but it would be worth it <clears throat> to have them on board. Uh, you know, my comment on that, very simply, is we will hire people for what they can do, and we will fire them for who they are. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's real sad, Blaine. <laughs> I see it happen all the time, and... There's a short-term win that I get for bringing somebody in that isn't a cultural match or isn't it isn't an ecological match for the ideal of the firm. And the ideal of the firm has to do with how we treat each other in this company. How, you know, what do we value? What do we pay attention to? I can bring somebody in that's got the skill set to do a specific job, but if they are a keg of dynamite that I have to tiptoe around, all you know, the um, the advantage of having them on site on job. Uh, rapidly begins to go away if all I'm doing is spending a lot of time and energy you know, making sure that that cake of dynamite doesn't blow up. Mm. Well, so tell leaders who are listening, you know, what they need to do to really get to that point where they know they can bring people in who um, are a fit. I mean, what if they're thinking, you know, we need culture change. You know, we don't take enough risk, so we need people who are willing to risk. Um, and you bring somebody in, and, of course, that implodes right away because the culture can't handle it. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you navigate this? Well, I, I think this kind of goes back to the nature of time again. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an intent to shift the culture, there needs also to be a recognition that that is going to take far more time than anybody can probably envision at the uh, at the outset. Culture culture is an artifact that is developed over time as a consequence of having a group of people together. And if you've got an organization that has evolved over time, you've also got a group of people that have come to you know, figure out ways of working together with each other. And that's essentially what culture is. It's how, do we, how have we agreed to work together. And if that hasn't been intentionally and mindfully uh, designed, you're going to get an ad hoc culture that may or may not support what you want. Right. Um, yeah. Um, you know, you can look at you know what's the job of a leader, and I think the fundamental job of a leader is to pay attention to culture. You can have the best idea in the world, and if the culture is not designed to support the gestation and evolvement of that idea, I don't care how good your idea is. Culture will eat strategy for lunch every day. <laughs> that, that was that Peter Drucker. <laughs> that is a Peter Drucker thing. Yes, 
<laughs> it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense because no matter how much you're trying to to push strategy, and that's kind of the the um, image I have around strategy often being pushed. Um, culture is the pull, it and is. if in fact um, there is not some way for a blending to occur, um, the pull far outweighs the push. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then you have leaders who are wedded to the idea of a strategy and um, not paying attention, not conscious, not conscious of how the culture is going to trump that strategy. So it sounds like in strategic implementation, it's vital for these leaders to really take more of a holistic look. You know, it's not just what are we going to do, but mm-hmm. how do we? How are we successful? How do we, how do we make it su- sustainable? Right, and and the the focus point literally needs to shift from do we have the best strategic plan to do we have the best strategic culture to implement this strategic plan, and it's and it's a shift in orientation from doing the right thing. Um, literally, I mean, what I see a lot happening is that you know. These you know, the business leaders that I work with. I mean, they, these are good people, honorable people. Yep. I mean, they, they're bright. They want to do the best they can. They do the right thing, but they don't do it in the uh, in the right way. They, they wow. go about doing it in the wrong way. And what I mean by that is that they do it in a way that does not take into account what needs to be developed in the culture to support what it is that you want to have happen. Mm. It becomes more of let's okay. We've got a structure here. Let's let's put this strategic plan in place and use our existing structure and our existing value, I mean, this whole thing that we've already developed, and we probably developed without paying a lot of attention to what we developed, then let's go execute on it. That makes so much sense. Yeah, it's, you start with with an internal core, and this is what typically will, will occur in my experience, you start with this internal core, and then this structure evolves, and then goals get set, and you go out and you execute the goals. Well, if the goals or the mission or anything else happens, what does not typically get reexamined is this internal structure. And I, I think that the internal structure, the design of the organization, is another way of saying this. The design of the organization has to be as fungible as the goals and the, uh, um, the objectives of the organization. If I change the organization's goals and objectives, I have to look at the design of the culture, the design of the organization, and ask the question, is this design suitable for executing this goal? Vital to not, success. It's yes. vital. It, if it's not, I need to reorganize. I need to do something. I need to do right. something before I can realistically hold people accountable for the delivery of this this result. That is great advice. Blaine Bartlett, and we've come to the end of our show. And I know people are going to want to know more and know how to reach you, so how can they find out more about you? <laughs> well, uh, two websites, actually. Uh, one would be uh, the company website, uh, avatar-resources.com, and the other would be uh, my personal website, which is also accessed through the company website, which is blainebartlett.com, all one word. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, good luck with the book as it's uh, being completed. We'll have to have you back after it's published so you can tell us more of the secrets you're putting in there. I will. And uh, in the meantime, folks, you know, Blaine's book, Discover Your Inner Strength, is um, available. It's on Amazon. 
and it's a great read. And um, Blaine, thanks so much for being with us today. We so appreciate your being here and, and sharing with us your perspectives as, as the world changes all the time. So My pleasure. Remember, everyone, to think big, because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.